Hello, and welcome to French Tech News with Chris O'Brien and Ethan Pierce, an audio and video podcast series highlighting important stories in English in the world of France's startups, its entrepreneurs, investors, and ecosystem leaders. Our objective is to continue to open this incredible ecosystem up to the Anglophone startup and investment community worldwide. And speaking to the podcast and all of our past discussions and interviews, head on over to Apple or Spotify and search for French Tech News and give that a subscribe as well as the video podcast on YouTube. I'd like to welcome our guest today, Mathilde Collin, co-founder and CEO at Front, as well as my co-host in this French Tech News journey, Chris O'Brien. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Good to see you again. I'm looking Great uh, to see you too. forward to today's discussion. Yeah, no, it's fun because this is going to be a, a catch-up because you guys have spoken before a ways back. Very much looking forward to today's discussion about Front. I think maybe to dive in. Just to give some context for people who might not know what it is that you do, just to kind of give us the, you know, the kind of the pitch about what Front does, what problems are you solving, um, uh, what, you know, just kind of where things are at in that sense of context. And then we've got other specific questions and Chris can dive into kind of the, the history of chatting with you about your fundraising and things like that. So welcome. Thank you so much. Well, uh, uh, maybe a one minute intro. Uh, Front is a... We call it a hub for customer communication. So if you try to picture it, you can think about an email inbox that you're all familiar with, um, but with CRM-like features. So you can easy, easily collaborate, integrate it with other tools, implement workflows, get analytics. And this is just a description of the product, but the value we bring to our customers is that they can keep amazing human authentic relationships with their customers as they scale. And the problem that we've seen with our customers, and today we have over 7,000 companies that use our product, is usually as you scale, you need to make a trade-off. Either you keep using like authentic communication channels like email, looks very personal, it's great, but it doesn't scale. Uh, usually emails fall through the cracks, hard to get a good response time, hard to get your team collaborate, etc. Or you transition to um, what like uh, help the solutions that turn every interaction into a ticket and you lose the authenticity that uh, usually people appreciate when talking to other human beings. And so that's what we do. We've been around for seven years. Uh, we have over 300 people at front now working on this problem. And I'm super happy with the work I'm doing every day. Well, that's great to hear. Uh, you know, you and I had a chance, as we were just hinting, uh, to, to talk. It was actually four years ago, which does in, in Internet French tech years feels like 28 years ago. Um, but uh, just to kind of follow from that pitch, I thought it'd be interesting to kind of go back to the beginning of the, the front story, because um, even if now I think that was seven or eight years ago, I think there's a there's a, a, a lot of interesting things about how you got started that are really still relevant today. Um, as I recall, you guys came out of the eFounders Studio, yes, um, which you know they're still doing amazing stuff. But that was much earlier in their history as well. So can you talk a little bit just about how you got involved with eFounders and how Front kind of came together in in the eFounders context? Of course, so. Uh, maybe piece of context. I graduated um, and and had to take a job uh, because I had to pay the loan that I had made to uh, before my school. 
And I thought I would be working for a few years, try to make money so that I could start a company afterwards. I had already, uh, like, always been interested in entrepreneurship. Um, and the thing that happened is I took this job, stayed a year, and it was really miserable. Uh, the culture of the company was really not for me. And I was a very happy, positive human being. But for some reason, I just was extremely unhappy going to work every day. And so I thought after a year, like... You know, I just have one life. I don't want to not enjoy what I'm doing every day. I'm going to try to find a way to start a company, even if I still have my loan that I need to uh, refund. And I met a few investors that potentially could um, invest in, a, in an ID pre-product. And I actually got introduced to Thibaut, who is a part of eFounders and was the uh, founder of Fotolia before. And uh, he did two things for me. One is he introduced me to the person who is now my co-founder, Laurent. Um, and two is he gave us the initial amount of money that allowed us to get started. And for that, I am forever grateful. As you said, it was the very early days of eFounders. Like Airco and Front were probably the first two companies um, that really got started with the startup studio. And it was in, um, I think, October, November. And then in March of the following year, we applied to Y Combinator. And so we moved to the U.S. with the team and um, we didn't come back. Some of the team came back, but I didn't come back. And so it was very early. It was extremely impactful. But but the but the eFounder experience was also very short in time. Like it was five months-ish. Um, because then we moved and then, uh, we got the help of YC and then we started just being our own company and, um, but I'm forever grateful for what they did to us. And just to follow up on that, I mean, I'm familiar with eFounders today and how Tebow works. You know, they very much, they hatch an idea, they kind of kick it around, they go out and find some founders, they help, you know, turn an idea in the company. But they're they're the real starting point of this. When you guys were doing that back then, was that the case, or did you come to them with this kind of idea about what this company might be? So, story slightly different. I was working in software in a contract management software um, company, and I was passionate about using software to change how work gets done. And my experience after working one year was that the main tool that we were using to get work done was email and it hadn't changed in the past 20 plus years and it was highly inefficient. And so when I, and I'm someone for like, I'm super ambitious. I, I liked the fact that email had such a huge market that not a lot of people were innovating in the space. And on the other hand, my co-founder had experienced different problems with his previous experiences. It was more like, the company grows, we have more and more customer communication. And then all of a sudden, while you're so busy, we're asking you to change all your workflows and implement a shitty product, like whatever, like ticketing systems. And I think front is actually when, like is the result of email plus support. And so these two ideas that the co-founders like felt really strongly about became front, which was launched as a shared inbox. And like the, the initial ID seven years ago was anytime you have a shared email address, then front is the best tool. Over time, we uh, understood better what pain point we were solving, what markets we were in, 
the product evolved, and that's why today we don't talk about it the same way we talked about it uh, many years ago. So maybe we can keep going on just to finish that that curve of that story. Then you go from e founders into Y Combinator. What was that experience like? How did that happen? And you know what 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 is uh, uh, maybe takeaways from that? That's also a ways back for for Y Combinator, which has evolved quite a bit as well. For sure. Um, I mean, I'll tell you my maybe two biggest takeaways. So how it happened was um, my boyfriend at the time, who's my husband today, uh, was also starting a company at the same time as me. And I think he was uh, more aware of the tech ecosystem than I was. And so he told me, I'm going to apply to this cool thing called Y Combinator. And I was like, I'd love to go to California with you for three months. Therefore, I'm going to apply as well. And this is the honest answer about why we applied and we both got accepted. It was great. But again, it was not like I was, you know, 10 and I was dreaming of going to Wake Minator. It was not that. But so we got there and I'll share with you my two biggest learnings. So the first one was... I remember that uh, we arrived, everything was in person. Uh, we were handed off some t-shirts. It was written, make something people want. And then Sam Altman was giving a talk and it was all about make something people want. And I was like, I don't know if I had to travel across the world to understand that the main thing they're teaching us is make something people want. It seems pretty obvious. And so that was my first impression. But at the end of the day, I feel like that's pretty much the only thing that uh, they could bring because it's the most important thing. Like literally when you're starting a company, there are so many distractions you can have. And what you always need to come back to, it's true when you're two people, it's true when you're 2000 people, is am I making something people want? Am I building it? Am I talking to customers enough that I'm convinced it's something people want? Have I, have I framed the prime in a specific way so that I can then solve it and assess if I've solved it? So that was my learning number one is there is no silver bullet, like just make something people want. Uh, learning number two is every maybe week or other week, we had a, a guest speaker and it was the CEOs of Dropbox, Stripe, Airbnb, Facebook, like companies that at the time I thought and still today um, are super successful. And I remember very vividly this CEOs talking about how hard it was and they wake up many times a month and they're like, I don't even know why I'm doing this. I don't know if it makes sense. And then I thought, well, all the existential questions I have about front, I should put them to rest because the reality is even as we get to product market fit, as we have thousands of employees and customers, they'll still be here. Um, and that was really liberating because then I could focus on making something people wanted. So after uh, you graduated from Y Combinator, I think when you and I spoke, um, you had just gone through another astonishing period. You'd raised this round of 66 million. And this was, if I recall my timeline correctly, 2018. Uh, and that was just from, from the French tech perspective, that was sort of one of these astonishing moments. Like, who are these people? It's just a handful of people. Uh, Frenchies in San Francisco, and and it was that and and the way you raised it, as I recall, that it came together very quickly. Um, but uh, tell me a little bit about that. You know, at the moment, I mean, it was it, now. It seems like it's it's just one of these things that really opened the door for other people um, that kind of followed you because at that moment, 
you know, a startup like this raising so much money was just um, unheard of at the time. Yes. I think. Uh, so, so it's interesting that you share that because if I try to remember how I felt four years ago, um, I don't think that at that time I thought it was so amazing. And just because I've never felt like raising money was an end in itself, like it's a mean to an end. And it's almost like it's the beginning of something. So good luck on now meeting the expectations of the people that trusted you. And so I've always been, uh, you know, reluctant to make big celebrations out of raising money. I'd rather celebrate like amazing customer engagement, new customers. They're happy. They're growing. We have more employees. They're happy. We have good engagement. We've hit certain milestones. We've shipped features that have an impact on our customers and making that part of the culture. Um, but it's still like, I still remember that it was surprising for two reasons. One, it was a huge amount of money, but it also was done in an unconventional way because we raced from what we called super angels. Um, so the, uh, leaders at Qualtrics, at Atlassian, at Zoom, um, et cetera. And I think that the interesting things is you're right. Four years later, first, there are more and more operator led rounds. And two is people are raising more and more money. But at the time, honestly, like the, it was very opportunistic. The company was doing super well. And so making sure that we could raise a lot of money with a small dilution allowed us in the uh, following years to not raise. Like, for example, you know, today we've not raised in over two years and we still have a ton of runway. And that's really great for our employees, people who join because they have a very low strike price. And uh, it's also great for um, our employees because we have not a lot of dilution. And like, if we keep the focus on, we want to make what's right for our customers and our employees and not what seem to be the most shiny thing we can do, then it leads us to, you know, where we are today. And I think that was the same reasoning four years ago to get as much money as possible so that we can then get going and, you know, work on the mission we're, uh, we're on and, and deliver on it. So you mentioned that you raised two years ago. I, I think that was during the, the very beginning uh, of the pandemic. One of these uh, raising stories uh, that you know, during a very difficult time to be doing that. Maybe a bit, a bit just about kind of how that finishes the fundraising arc, because like you said, you've, you know, you haven't raised since. And then really just where does that take the company today? You know, what are you, what are you building in the sense of, uh, you mentioned what you originally thought of and this shared email box idea and other things. And now it's more kind of this customer relationship management and, and different things. How would, how did that last funding in the past two years really take the company to where it is today? Um, so you're right. It was, it was actually not before the, it was not during the pandemic. It was right before. And we were so lucky, uh, because it was in December, uh, and then pandemic was like, uh, March or something. Uh, so extremely lucky. I think the, it, like, to be honest, it's more the pandemic that transformed the company more than the fundraising itself. Um, and I don't think I've heard a lot of stories yet about how the pandemic is transforming companies just because we're in the middle of it still. Uh, but for us, I think there is this famous thing that says like growth hides all problems, which I believe is true. Like we've, we had always been growing. I have always published our decks so you can see all our numbers. And I think 
we there are a few things that we needed to nail in from a product standpoint, from a positioning standpoint, from a recruiting standpoint, in order to be an iconic company. And I've always had super high ambitions for France that has never changed. And the past two years, we've had so many breakthroughs from one, we understand that we're a collaboration product. And by definition, the more people you have on the product, the more value you deliver to them. It's so much harder to uh, you know, have 100 people collaborate than three people collaborate. And so we started making sure that we designed the product in a way that could scale to hundreds of users. Um, and that changed everything for the business because it changed the satisfaction of our customers, the retention, the um, kinds of features we would build and how we would build them. And of course, a company of, you know, 10 people should still use front because the more you wait, the more the change management is hard. But the truth is the value you'll get will increase uh, every time your team is growing. And that was, um, I think COVID helped us realize this because when all of a sudden the world is collapsing and people are not spending as much and people are churning more and people who really get value absolutely don't want to leave, then you really understand the core of your business, like who is an amazing customer and who is maybe not as great of a fit. And so. You know, I was in a, in a board meeting a few months ago and um, a month ago, I think. And I, and, and the board said, like, the company is radically different from what it was two years ago. When two years ago we had raised, like, it was a great company. Uh, but, but I do believe that we have a much better understanding of where we fit in the market, how we deliver value to customers, who is an ideal customer, what do we build for them? And so past few years, there are so many things that we build, uh, which is always, you know, one of the most exciting things um, for me that delivered value to our customers. You, as you mentioned at the beginning, are based out there in San Francisco. I mean, this is another, so I think you moved to San Francisco close to the time I moved to France. Uh, so we crossed each other uh, probably somewhere yep. over the Atlantic. Um, but, you know, since I've been here, and I'm sure you hear it on your side, you know, there's this perpetual question about, uh, building your company in France versus building it in Silicon Valley or New York or somewhere in the U.S. Obviously, you had a sort of very special kind of personal angle to that that sort of took you to San Francisco initially. But um, I recall also after some of that funding that you then, you guys were at least planning to kind of expand back into France at some point, uh, open up into Paris. Uh, so I assume you have people here and the United States now. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, all these years later, if you're talking to a French entrepreneur, what do you kind of tell them about that decision about, because, it, but, you know, again, four years ago when you raised that round, absolutely everyone was saying, if you want to raise serious money, you have to go to New York, you have to go to Silicon Valley. Obviously, people are raising, you know, that kind of money here in France, but, you know, I still hear people debating the same question. Do I stay here in Paris? Do I go London or San Francisco? So what do you kind of advise them about that? So I, I would tell them many things, but I'll share three things. Uh, the first one is the, the startup journey is super hard. Uh, even when your company is doing well, it's very hard. And so the first thing I would tell them is just be where you're happy. Like it is hard enough that you don't want to 
put yourself in a situation where uh, you're not happy personally. And for me, like the truth is when I went to San Francisco, I really enjoyed the weather. I really enjoyed the positivity that people had, the ambition that people had. And it was just an environment where I felt like I was happier and might be true today, might not be true today. It's very hard because I'm older now. And so maybe I have a different perspective on life, but like first, that's what I would say. Second thing is, for sure, the French ecosystem is very different today than it was when we started France. And there are so many ways I experience it now that we have an office in France and now that I have friends starting companies and telling me about their journey. So I think uh, it is absolutely possible to stay in France, raise big rounds, have customers, have a great talent pool. And if that's what makes you happier, you should be there. The one thing I would say, though, is... From a business standpoint, the thing that was true for us is we were a company with three people um, doing an email product, email being one of the most sensitive things people can think of when they're thinking about their data. And I think it is true that there was more skepticism on trusting a company of three people um, to deal with their emails in France than in the U.S. And I think you know, in, in the U.S., uh, most of the big companies that you can think of were small companies not that long ago. And so I think there is a bias, which is we can trust these small companies because most likely, you know, they can become big, they can, they can be legit. And so like, if I was starting front today, maybe I would still come, like probably most likely I would still come to San Francisco for the happiness piece and for the fact that our first customers probably would be in, uh, in San Francisco and being close to them, I think matters a lot. Yeah, I can remember this now from talking previously about just the the SaaS adoption. You know, it was it's gotten better now more recently, particularly during the pandemic in France. But um, you know, it was pretty clear that cloud SaaS services people were much slower to adopt them here, just in general, in terms of then giving you a potential customer base to really, you know, willing to just experiment. Uh, with this kind of service. Yep. Um, I mean, the other piece of that I wonder about, you know, we're pretty, uh, we follow also closely the French tech community here in France, but also in the US, you know, there's a pretty substantial group of you in the Bay Area and New York. Um, are you connected to them at all? I mean, do you think of yourself in that way? And, and you know, do, does that play a role at all in terms of your network or hiring or anything like that? Well, it's funny because, uh, yes, a few days ago, Peter Reinhardt, who uh, was the CEO of Segment, uh, tweeted something about the fact that we did peer board meetings um, where we were all sharing our board decks so that we can all know uh, where other companies stand. And it was uh, the CEO of Checker, Algolia, and uh, Segment. And so like three out of four were French. And so, yes, I, uh, I have... Um, some of my peers who I'm very close to and I trust and help me. I also have most of my close friends here are French. So I definitely feel like I'm a French person. My husband is French and so uh, in the US. Um, and, and at the same time, I don't like it was more organic than, you know, a community that is well identified and that I'm a part of, um, but definitely close to the French ecosystem here. I think that kind of continues the um, also then this trend you you because you mentioned it briefly earlier this operator investor idea and uh, you mentioned Algolia uh, I'm not sure if you mean Nicola uh, when you mentioned Algolia there but but just this 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 idea of 
the very American approach to innovation venture capital, which has been entrepreneurs that are successful that then reinvest their time and experience and money into companies versus up until recently, the European version, which was much more kind of institutional finance approach to, to venture. But now we're getting a lot more with the success of all these companies that are that, that's been happening in the French tech, um, entrepreneurs that are coming back or, or whatever that might happen to be. So now we're seeing a ton of angel investing that's happening as well. And so that's a journey that you've been on. Maybe talk a little bit about your approach to that, why that interests you to kind of be the operator, builder, investor, and, and what that kind of means now in the mix of what you do building this great company, but also wanting to invest in helping others build theirs. Of course. And the truth is, I've been helped along the way with Front by uh, institutional investors, but also operators. <clears throat> I've gotten very different benefits from both of them. And the reason why I've started Angel Investing was because I got value and so I could provide value. And then it would be lying if I didn't also mention that, again, I'm a very competitive person. I really love the idea of you know investing money and then being able to get more money. And, and I've talked about this in other mediums, but I've always cared a ton about giving back. Um, and I still do a ton of this. And for me, angel investing is a way to potentially make more money invested in causes that I think are very important um, and that I care about at least. Uh, and so I started doing that like five, six years ago. I mostly invest in software because that's the thing I know where I can be helpful. I think half of my investments have been men, half of my investments have been women, most of the time early stage. And I think the thing that uh, sets me apart or that people seem to value is I've always been very transparent along the way. Everything you can find online is the truth. And I shared more than a lot of people. And I'm the same way with companies I invest with in. Like the truth is they will there are there will be such hard moments. And I'm not here to put any kind of pressure. I think entrepreneurs put enough pressure on themselves. I'm just here to be a sounding board, to care for the people before I care about the out outcome of the company and to uh, share transparently all the things that were hard for France and, you know, or are today hard for France and what I'm learning from it. Just to kind of look forward a little bit now for the next six months, um, what's the focus for Front? What's your focus? and where do you hope to go the next year? So we're uh, 300 people today and we're aiming at being 600 by the end of um, next uh, this year, 2022. Uh, so it's definitely high growth. We just brought a few executives on board, like Mo Adar, who was uh, the GM of SendGrid at Twilio. So deep email expertise joined. We just announced that we opened two new locations, Dublin and Chicago. Um, we're our fiscal year ends in 11 days. So we're, you know, wrapping up our uh, planning process and roadmap for the next 12 months. And it's definitely crazy. Like the reality is making sure that all the stars align and, you know, keeping growing while at the same time having to work on so many important things. This is wild, but I love it. And so the next six months are going to be super intense. Uh, we're going to keep you know, our move up market and, and delivering value to um, great customers. And we're going to keep focusing on making sure that they can have 
uh, authentic conversations with our customers at this scale and really great collaboration between people. I think even, even more today, like it's the, we're still working from home. And I think front, the fact that you can actually, um, collaborate with your team in a super efficient way, uh, create this like creative space. And that I think is, uh, needed because you don't have the office where you can just hurdle and, you know, meet your, um, coworkers and have these, uh, great moments of collaboration. And so more than ever, I think front is needed. So we'll keep working hard on it, but this is like, this is hard work. Yeah. And from what you're describing and knowing what I know about the current sort of funding atmosphere, even if you don't need it right now, I have to imagine you're getting a lot of cold calls from, uh, investors knocking on your door and calling your phone and stuffing your email inbox, wanting to, uh, wanting to take meetings with you to uh, convince you to, to take a check from someone. Yes, but at the same time, I'm also a, an extremely disciplined person. So when we're not raising, we're not raising. So I apply a tag in my inbox, investors, and one day I'll reopen all of them and it'll <laughs> be the right moment. But uh, for now, like purely focused on, on growing the company. Yeah, well, great. Congratulations. I love your energy. It's, it's so fun to see. I love seeing people be so excited about what they do and what they're building. And that's a great, the hyperscale moment that you're in of really uh, doubling things this year. Um, that's going to take a lot of energy. So that's great that you have it. And we can't wait to see all that get built and to see all that success. So thank you for taking the time, especially if you're 11 days out from your, your the end of your financial year. I'm sure you've got lots of things to do. We really appreciate you being available and sharing the story of what you've been building and where you're at today. And uh, yeah, we look forward to the next news. Thank you. I loved this moment with you. Same, and we'll see you in Paris one day. Yeah, Yes. that would be great. And thank you as well to our listeners for joining us for this episode of the French Tech News. Want more news and stories from France's incredible innovation ecosystem and its entrepreneurs? Subscribe to the French Tech News with Chris and Ethan on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and switch on notifications to be informed of new episodes as soon as they are released. You can connect with Chris and me on Twitter and LinkedIn. I am at Ethan Pierce, that's E-T-H-A-N-P-I-E-R-S-E. And Chris O'Brien is at O'Brien, O-B-R-I-E-N. Let us know if there are guests that you would like to see on the interview podcast, as well as any stories that we should take a look at. As always, thank you for listening. We will see you next time.